You're listening to The Central Cast, recorded each week in front of a live audience in Glendale, California. Well, thanks again for being here on another Sunday with us. Uh, Of course, as you know, we are in uh, the beginning of Lent or the second week, second Sunday of Lent. And uh, yeah, so I'm once again, very excited about the liturgical calendar and that we have these seasons that help kind of guide our reflections and faith. Um, So through this Lenten uh, season, the rest of this Lenten season, Aaron's going to be um, uh, leading his uh, talks in a direction of, um, of Lenten reflections more specifically. And um, we're going to tie that together with some liturgy and reflections uh, as well. So uh, it's interesting. It's, it's been another uh, week of exciting news. I'm glad that the news is getting less and less uh, um, uh, crazy, it seems, on a week-to-week basis. Um, but I'm sure you find yourselves in the same kind of confused places that we have been in. You know, new news about the Johnson & Johnson vaccine and its um, release and availability, and then also new variants of COVID-19 that are raising all kinds of questions about efficacy and, and what things look like for us. And um, yeah, we find ourselves once again in a similar space, which is a bit fitting during this Lenten season. Um, Especially as we look at Lent as a time to kind of reflect uh, and to um, prepare for um, Good Friday and Easter. Um, You know, some of you have talked about things that you've been giving up for Lent or different ways that you're um, thinking of this time and and, um, remembering this season of preparation for Easter. Um, So as we open our service this morning, um, I wanted to do that with a prayer from a Reverend M. Barclay. And as I was reading through this, this was actually a personal reflection, uh, like a prayer in the first person. And I just changed um, the pronouns so that it becomes a communal prayer um, for us, because I feel like it really fits with what this season is and also who we as a community are here at Central and what it's like for us to be in the middle of all the different places that we're in and looking forward with Um, hope of transformation in this world, in ourselves. Um, So would you join me in prayer as we open service this morning? Spirit of God, when paths of transformation lead us into times of wilderness, periods of learning and unlearning, realities winding and unruly, May your presence be our steady compassion. If we feel afraid of the unfamiliar or unknown, strangers to where you're leading, remind us that we do not go alone. All who seek your wisdom are wandering. When we forget, remind us this is part of love's work. Help us to be patient with our journey, letting love set the pace. If we feel ashamed, confronted by regrets, embarrassed by ignorance, or trapped by snares of guilt, may your grace be near and let courage steady our way. To you, we will turn for nourishment along the way, remembering the simple pleasures of being alive, of being together of being among the creations of your hand. There's no stretch of the earth where delight cannot be found. With all the desire to further the common good, let us more deeply into the heart of love. In the company of your promise, faith shall be our guide. Amen. Uh, 
Um, I wanted to share here uh, a, a what's called a, a, a titled temptation couplets. Um, as we're talking about the Lenten season, this was put together by uh, Blin Cardi, who is um, uh, a leader in the Anglican Church in New Zealand. Um, and so I just wanted to read this uh, as a reflection uh, of kind of um, how temptation can come from multiple different angles. And then of course, leading us, I'll uh, close after this reading um, with a brief prayer. And um, it's more, I suppose, kind of a prayer of exactly where this place is that we find ourselves in um, all the confusion of the Lenten season, um, waiting for things to change in the world around us and being a part of that change and transformation. Um, so, of course, Lent um, in the liturgical calendar, the Lenten season begins with Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. Um, and so this is a way of connecting us as a community to this temptation. So a reflection on, on um, what the start of the Lenten season means um, and also the reality of what temptation looks like in our context. There's the temptation to do nothing and the temptation to think you always have to do something. There's the temptation to think doing gets things done and the temptation to think being still doesn't. There's the temptation to think it all depends on me and the temptation to think nothing depends on me. There's the temptation to do only what we think will succeed and the temptation to heed self-doubt so that we never try. There's the temptation to apportion blame when things go wrong and the temptation to forget the learnings from our mistakes. There's the temptation to equate success with blessing and the temptation to equate failure with curse. There's the temptation to think of sickness as somehow morally bad and the temptation to think of health as somehow morally good. There's the temptation to think that money brings happiness and the temptation to think that going without can't. There's the temptation to think that my suffering is paramount and the temptation to think that the suffering of others can be justified. There's the temptation to think prayer is what we say and do and the temptation to think we know how to pray. There's the temptation to take for granted the love that we receive and the temptation to think that love has to be earned. There's the temptation to think that we know what love is and the temptation to not answer when grace knocks. Grateful for the blessing of these days, we're refreshed by the beauty that surrounds us. Challenged by the restrictions of these days, we're relieved by the company of those who reach out to us. Saddened by the accumulating loss of these days, we're soothed by the love that embraces us. Encumbered by the masks which annoy us, we're enlivened by the cold, brisk air. Disturbed by worries of variance, we're inspired by those who toil for answers. Longing for an end to this pandemic, we're blessed by those who work to protect and heal. Tempted to withdraw and hide, we find courage in the love which lives in, with, through, and beyond us. Let the power of the one who is beyond give us strength for this journey. Amen. Thanks, Bob. Um, so now uh, is the time in our service where we will take communion together. Um, and uh, we've talked about this a little bit the last uh, couple of weeks, but we are going to continue taking communion through Lent. 
if you grew up in a liturgical tradition, you might not have, um, but we have decided to do so because it's a meaningful um, <clears throat> part of what we do when we gather together. And for the last almost year, we're getting closer and closer to that mark. Gathering together has looked like this um, on, on computer screens um, from all over the country, sometimes all over the world. Um, and we're gonna, we're gonna use this opportunity to remind ourselves how we are connected even though we are apart and how we are um, all part of the same body. Um, so with that in mind, please feel free um, to grab something if you have not yet. Um, as always, if you feel so inclined, um, you can drop in your creative uh, elements into the, into the chat um, today. Um, I'm gonna read a poem for us to, to hear as our prayer before communion, it's by Madeline Lingle. Um, and it is called For Lent 1966. Um, and as many of you probably know, uh, and I'm sure some of you definitely know, um, the 60s in general have a lot of parallels to um, things that we find ourselves in these days. Um, it was tumultuous, um, rife with political violence and disagreement. We were stuck in um, an unending war. Um, civil rights um, was prominent in headlines. People were being killed for marching for equality. Um, although some things have changed a lot it also is a reminder in 19 in the 1960s that some things are still the same uh, fight that they are um, that they were um, and that we can learn a lot um, from some of the some of the ways that people coped and some of the ways that people fought and some of the ways that people found uh, connection so I've found myself through this pandemic drawn towards a lot of writings and um, art, especially um, created in that, in that time. Um, so this is one of those. So for Lent 1966 by Madeline Lingle. It is my Lent to break my Lent, to eat when I would fast, to know when slender strength is spent, take shelter from the blast. When I would run with wind and rain to sleep, when I would watch, it is my Lent to smile at pain, but not ignore its touch. It is my Lent to listen well, when I would be alone, to talk when I would rather dwell in silence turn from none, who call on me to try to see that what is truly meant is not my choice, if Christ's I'd be, it's thus I'll keep my Lent. So hopefully um, I'll drop that in here too. Um, but hopefully uh, you'll hear some of the themes that we've been talking about, whether to eat um, during Lent, whether to not eat, um, uh, the pain and how we feel in the midst of that. Um, so let that be our prayer this morning as we take the elements and that we are reminded that um, on the night he was betrayed, Jesus ate with the disciples in the upper room um, and he took the bread and he broke it to cheese it today. And he says, do this in remembrance of me, my body broken. So I invite you to take the bread or the element that you have today. And likewise, when the meal was finished, he took the cup. And he says, every time you do this, drink and remember the new covenant that I create with you. So I invite you to take the cup at your leisure, what you have today, in remembrance of the covenant we have in Christ and the body that we are together. May we remember our connectedness, even as we are apart today and every day. Amen. All right, thanks, Max. Good morning, everyone. So this week we have Philosophy Thursday night at 6 p.m. on the Zoom link. 
And we are st still in atheism for Lent, which runs through March 31st. Um, that is in place of the gathering. So it's 7 p.m. on Wednesdays. We're still currently partnering with the Mission Hills Church. And if you're interested, you can sign up on Facebook um, with the link that Aaron set up. Uh, it's still kind of far away, but the next round of blood drives are April 8th and May 20. Uh, Bob said he checked last week and it looked like there were some openings, but we might want to wait a little longer to see how the schedule uh, reflects. And then finally, just a reminder, if anyone needs anything, please reach out to any of us on leadership and we will be happy to help. And I will pass it on to Aaron. Thanks, Angie. Does anybody have any prayer requests today? Words of thanksgiving, um, joys or concerns? We want to hear about it and we want to uh, pray together as a family. Um, you can always unmute and raise your voice that way. Or if you're more comfortable, you can put it in the chat column and I'll do my best to see it there. Does anybody have anything to share today? Hey, Aaron. Hey, Cassandra. Hey, I just um, wanted to take a minute to be thankful for the earth um, and my dad. He really inspired me to start hiking and I am getting so much joy and healing and learning a lot about myself while I'm out there and connecting with nature. So I just would like to take a minute to be thankful for that and my dad. That's awesome. And your dad's here. He is. For, for those of you who don't, don't, don't know Herman, Herman is, is also present. <laughs> so we're giving thanks for you too, buddy. Uh, yeah, let's, let, let's give thanks for that. That's a great thing to give thanks for. Um, loving God, we give thanks for um, the earth and all of creation and the possibility of enjoying it and encountering your spirit uh, within it. We ask that we might uh, just find ourselves more and more connected to the environment around us and, and to the beauty and the awe and the wonder therein. Uh, may, make us into good stewards of, of this place and of each other. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Anybody else have something they want to share? Yeah, go ahead. Um, so some of you know, I have really um, bad arthritis in my back. Um, it's an autoimmune arthritis. So I'm on some biologic immunosuppressants. And then um, a couple of weeks ago, I had to start, stop. Um, I had to stop. I had to start chemotherapy, um, which is making me kind of sick and feeling run down. And um, Lucy, stop. Um, and then, um, on Wednesday, I have to have four separate procedures on my back under anesthesia. And then on Monday, um, I'll be having one on my elbow. Um, so, and then of course, to top it all off, my parents just left from being here all winter. So uh, would appreciate your thoughts and prayers for me, me and for Aaron. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, uh... I guess I'll pray for all of that, including myself. Um, yeah, absolutely. Loving God, we pray for Emily's continued health and recovery and all the, just all the relief she needs in her back and with her other joints, we pray for healing and relief and strength as parents to, to endure and um, just blessings on our children as well. In Jesus name, amen. Anybody else this morning? Looks like John has shared in the chat, would love some prayer for more acceptance and wisdom in a difficult living situation. Let's, let's pray for that. We pray for John and we ask that um, he would just experience more acceptance and wisdom in this, in this difficult living situation. Uh, we pray that uh, hearts and minds might be open to change and to listening to each other that broken relationships, damaged relationships would be mended uh, in some way. In Jesus' name, amen. Anybody else today? Hey, Aaron. Hey. Um, I mentioned a few weeks ago that we were going to have some friends that are moving. Um, we told the kids that their best friend 
um, is moving and basically our whole pod is moving. So um, we just told them and it's been really, really tough. So just prayers for them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, loving God, we lift up May's friends who are moving and um, just also May and her family, as I'm sure that this is a sense of loss for them and, and they're, they're going to feel that loss. We pray for them. We also pray for these friends as they're going through this difficult transition and all the stress and the worry and the concern, the anxiety that comes with it. We pray for them in Jesus name. Amen. Anybody else? With that, Max, I think I'm going to hand it over to you. Thanks, Aaron. So today um, we will be engaging um, again. We're going to do this um, mostly through Lent. I'll mix it up a little bit. Um, Again, engaging again with a particular word that I'm going to invite you to meditate on. We did this last week. Um, it um, I got I got a lot of comments about how um, some of you enjoyed it. If you didn't, sorry. Um, here we are. Uh, but essentially, it is an intentional practice um, on meditating on a particular word. And then I'm actually going to invite you to, if you feel so led, to jot something down. You can do that on your own. You can do that in the chat. Several people um, did partake last week. And it was um, great to, to hear from um, some folks around the screen. Um, but I'll, I'll read a word and then um, I'll read a little, um, very short meditation on it and ask some questions about it. And then I'll read it through a couple of times. And I just invite you, you can just sit, you can think, you can speak, um, but I invite you to write. So uh, the, our one of our favorite liturgy resources um, in Fleshed is doing this through Lent. So I'm gonna just read a little bit about the practice of, of what they're engaging us to do. Um, and the way they put it, but we can do it however we want. It says, you may either include the word in a poem or simply let it shape your thinking about pathways to collective flourishing. So as I mentioned last week, um, this is to help us focus on collective flourishing and how we flourish as individuals and how we flourish um, as a group and humanity. We invite you to aim for poems written in three short, simple lines. No need to overthink, feel your way through. Um, it says this practice encourages similarity to haiku in a three-line structure using concrete, vivid imagery, paying attention to incorporating the world around, um, but also departs from haiku in that it is um, haiku is a highly technical labor, a display of practice expertise, and this is really just um, tr trying to be much more loose and whatever is able to help you engage. Um, so last week we uh, used the word attention um, and thought about how attention shows up for us, how attention is connected to our flourishing um, and how we give our attention and how we choose to give our attention to different things, what robs us of our attention, those things. So today our word is surprise. So I'm gonna read some questions for us and uh, um, feel free to just think about them, jot something down. On pathways to collective flourishing, why is it important to stay open to surprise? When is surprise about an evil action a product of naivete or privilege? How does trauma and oppression shut down our capacity to stay open to positive surprises, unexpected transformations or openings? How does surprise open up new possibilities for good or for evil? What surprises have had a lasting impact on you? So I invite you to just reflect, meditate, um, jot something down if you feel so led, and then I'll read it again in a moment.
on pathways to collective flourishing, why is it important to stay open to surprise? When is surprise about an evil action a product of naivete or privilege? How does trauma and oppression shut down our capacity to stay open to positive surprises, unexpected transformations or openings? How does surprise open up new possibilities for good or for evil? What surprises have had a lasting impact on you? Go ahead and put those prompts in the uh, chat if you'd like to have them. But I invite you, if you find it a helpful practice to come back to these today, maybe when you have some more time um, and may it be a prayer or a confession um, or a observation or a work of art or something, whatever it is that you are particularly needing today. Um, may you be surprised and open yourselves um, to being surprised. Amen. Thanks, Max. I just noticed that my internet is a little unstable. So if I cut out, <clears throat> hopefully I won't, but That'll be why. Um, every, give me the thumbs up if you can hear me right now. <laughs> okay, good. Well, that's a relief. <clears throat> it's helpful to be heard when you're speaking. So over the next five Sundays of Lent, we're going to be doing a series on the sufferings of God in Christ. Lent is a 40-day fast where traditionally, I think Bob mentioned this earlier, traditionally Christians fast something to contemplate, to meditate, on the sufferings of Christ. In particular, uh, the 40 days of Lent is meant to emulate the 40-day fast Jesus endured uh, in the desert when he was also tempted and tried by the devil. And we'll talk about that story next week as part of the series. And actually, each week, we'll look at a different story from the Gospels having to do with Christ's suffering and what his suffering meant to, the er to early Christians and what it can mean for us today. So the five stories we're going to look at are the exile of Jesus and his family upon his birth, uh, his temptation in the desert, the persecution he received from the religious leaders during his ministry, his sufferings in the Garden of Gethsemane, and of course, his crucifixion and death. So the reason why I think this is such an important series for us to do is because it's a long-standing tradition in the church, and perhaps a somewhat forgotten tradition that being a Christian is about sharing in the sufferings of Christ. Jesus himself, of course, defined discipleship this way for us in Luke 14, when he says, whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. This is Christianity, sharing in the sufferings of God in Christ. I'm reminded of the words of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. It's not the religious act that makes the Christian but participation in the sufferings of God in the secular life, end quote. And there's more than one way of understanding that. And so I want to explore that with you over the next month of Lent. Today, we're looking at the story of Jesus's exile in Matthew 2. It reads, an angel of the Lord, now this is generally uh, a Christmas text, right? But um, it's a year-round text too. So it begins by saying, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, get up. Take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child and to destroy him. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother by night and went to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken of by the Lord through the prophet, out of Egypt I have called my son. Out of Egypt I have called my son. When Herod died, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel for those who were seeking the child's life were dead. 
Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he had heard that Archelaus was ruling over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And after being warned in a dream, he went away to the district of Galilee. There he made his home in a town called Nazareth, so that what had been spoken through the prophets might be fulfilled. He will be called a Nazarene. End quote. Now, there's a few, a few interesting things about this story, right? Not the least of which is the significance of Jesus and his parents fleeing to Egypt, which locates him within the great Exodus trope, which is the main story uh, that defines everything for the Jewish people. <laughs> Uh, for the text to say here in Matthew, out of Egypt I have called my son, this was a way of saying to the original Hebrew audience of the Gospels, particularly Matthew's Gospel, was a way of saying, look, this Jesus guy, he too was exiled in Egypt and suffered as your ancestors did. He's one of you. But more than that, he's a Moses-like figure. He's a Moses-like archetypal figure that has come out of Egypt like Moses, to liberate his people and to lead them into the promised land of the kingdom of God. So that's, that's part of the meaning of the story, but it's so much more than that. For those of you who are parents, imagine having to take your newborn and run for your life just days after they're born. Imagine having to escape to a foreign country where you don't know anybody and you have to survive there for years because the authorities back home want to kill your baby. This is a profoundly sad and traumatic turn of events for Mary and Joseph. The joy and excitement surrounding Jesus's birth is quickly shattered by this existential threat and the fact that they're forced into a life on the run. They're forced into becoming fugitives, refugees. They're forced to live in exile. But these are only the beginnings of Christ's sufferings, right? And this, this story at the beginning of Matthew's gospel really sets the stage for what is to come. It tells the reader from the get-go that Jesus's life is not going to be an easy one. He's not going to live a life of ease and luxury. You know, sure, he might be a messianic figure like Moses, God's own son even, but his life was obviously going to be full of hardship and difficulty and suffering. And this was apparent not just because of his exile in Egypt, but because even when he returned years later with his parents back to Israel, as a toddler, even then they had to continue to hide from the authorities in the disparate region of Galilee and the tiny town of Nazareth. The text says that Archelaus was ruling over Judea at that time in place of his dead father, Herod. And he, Joseph, meaning Joseph, was afraid to go there. He was actually warned in a dream, another dream, we're told. Uh, he was warned not to return to Judea for this reason. So, in a sense, even while living in Galilee and Nazareth, they're still living in exile. Even when they return home, they're still living in exile. It's important to understand that Galilee and Nazareth were considered out of the way places and on the fringe of society back then. Galilee actually had a reputation for being a hotbed of political, political dissidents and, and resistance fighters against the empire. For example, following the death of Herod, the Roman armory in Sepphoris, uh, a tiny town or a larger town adjacent to Nazareth though, uh, this town was robbed and the Romans retaliated by crucifying 2000 Jews and selling the rest of the city's inhabitants into slavery. Um, the, the Roman armory in Sepphoris was robbed. And so the Romans retaliated by crucifying thousands of the city's inhabitants and selling the rest into slavery. And just a few, few years later when Jesus was just a boy, a guy named Judas the Galilean, not, not Judas Jesus's disciple, but a separate Judas, Judas the Galilean as he was known. He was a political revolutionary from Galilee. He launched another insurrection against the Roman occupiers, including a tax revolt, which promptly provoked another crackdown by the Romans in Galilee in which many more were crucified. So, so this, this was the Galilee of Jesus's day. The Galilee was considered a place of lawlessness a hotbed of political dissidents, radicals, and all kinds of misfits. Think of it being like the, the planet Tatooine from the Star Wars uh, epic, right? Um, 
uh, the place where Luke was from, but also where Obi-Wan was hiding out. And Obi-Wan uh, said it was a place of villainy and scum, right? It was a hotbed of, of you know, radicals and those who were hiding out from the empire who were you know, planning insurrection and those kinds of things. This was Galilee, this, this was Nazareth. And this is why Nathaniel says in John 1, when he's asked by Philip, if he wants to become one of Jesus's disciples, he responds and says, can anything good come from Nazareth? <laughs> In other words, as if to say, you know, that Jesus guy is from Nazareth? Come on, give me a break. Nothing good comes from Nazareth. He must be trouble. Why, why would we want to have anything to do with somebody from Nazareth? So this is the beginning of Jesus' story. These were his origins and his background and, this, and the story of the first 30 years of his life. I think we forget that. All but the last three years of his life was lived in exile. It was, it was spent living in, in obscurity, in exile, and on the fringe of society among, among radicals and misfits and outcasts in the disparate region of Galilee. It's not hard to imagine that such a place had an enormous impact on his thinking, on his worldview, on his politics and theology. But this meant that if you were going to be his follower, you too were going to share in his scorn and be labeled as a misfit and an outcast like he was. You were going to experience exile. And that was the choice you were making by, by being his follower. You were choosing to identify with those who had lost their identity and who had been stripped of their humanity. You were choosing to identify with the rejected and the despised. You were choosing to identify with the so-called godless and God-forsaken ones. Because this is who Jesus identified with. He identified with the poor, the infirmed, women, Samaritans, sex workers, tax collectors, which is to say that he identified with those who lived in a state of spiritual and social exile. The exiled Christ is a symbol of divine solidarity with them. Therefore, if we are to be his follower, we too must stand in solidarity with such people and be counted among their ranks. If we refuse to do that, we are refusing to share in Christ's sufferings and refusing to be his disciple. From the earliest beginnings, this is what it meant to be a Christian. Now, that is probably uh, a very different understanding of Christianity than the one most of us were raised with. The faith we were given was doctrinal, creedal, confessional. It was concerned with believing the correct supernatural things about God, Jesus, and the Bible, and had little or, little or nothing to do with this idea of sharing in the sufferings of Christ and identifying with those on the margins like he did. Um, that definition of faith would have seemed probably alien and quite bizarre to us back then, and like no faith at all. Even now, I think many of us wonder if we are still if we're still a Christian, because this has become our faith. Love and justice has become our faith. Caring about inequality and injustice has become our faith. Standing in solidarity with the outcasts and the oppressed and the so-called godless ones has become our faith. It's, it's not that we're atheists, right? It's not that we're atheists and don't believe in anything or don't believe in God anymore. It's just that we don't know exactly what we believe about all that stuff. And it's kind of beside the point to us now, and, and rightfully so. But, but this deconstruction, as we call it, is, in, is incredibly disconcerting and, and causes us to feel estranged and exiled from our former selves and our former beliefs. And it causes us to feel or to be estranged and exiled from our evangelical friends and family who perhaps think that we've gone off the deep end for these reasons, many of us feel like we're living in spiritual exile, wandering in a spiritual wilderness where there are no roads to guide us, just an open and seemingly endless frontier. I want to assure you today, I want to assure you that this too is sharing in the sufferings of Christ, sharing in the sufferings of the exiled God. This is faith. In a sense, you can only find God in exile. This is what Christ shows us. You can only find God in exile. You can never find the God revealed in Christ in places of security, certainty, comfort, power, and privilege. You can only find him in places of powerlessness, 
uncertainty, unknowing, doubt, and discomfort. You can only find God in exile. You can only find God if you are immersed in the perplexities and the problems of life as he was and as, as he is. Thus, deconstruction is sharing in Christ's sufferings. Deconstruction is sharing in the sufferings of Christ, experiencing the exile of deconstruction, experiencing the sense of alienation and the loss of identity. This too is sharing in the sufferings of Christ, the exiled Christ, the sufferings of the exiled God. This is faith. This is discipleship. Living into that, embracing it. This is Christian faith and discipleship. I, I know that this may sound paradoxical and contradictory, and it is paradoxical and contradictory, but what else should it sound like? After all, we are talking about, about a God who comes to us not from a place of stability and familiar, familiarity, but from a place of obscurity and exile. He comes to us as a stranger, a refugee, a fugitive, a nothing and a nobody from a questionable place like Nazareth. This is not a God of power and might, but a God of powerlessness and weakness. A God who shows us that true power and strength is standing in solidarity with the weak and the powerless. A God who shows us that true faith is letting go of our rigid conceptions of God, our, our religious conceptions of God, letting go of our quest for certainty and guarantees and being open to the unknown, being open to the possibility of something radically new and challenging. This, I think, is faith and what it means to share in the sufferings of Christ. So that's my, that's my talk for today. I'm curious, did I, did I break up at all? Was I, uh, was I, okay, good. That's good to hear. <laughs> Uh, any any questions or comments about about any of that? I'm curious. Um, part of the reason why I wanted to talk about this today was because many of us feel like we're living in exile from the church or from the faith of our upbringing. We even call ourselves ex-evangelicals, right? Or uh, ex-evangelicals. And I, I think we struggle to find our footing in all of that. I'm, I'm curious, do, do you feel like you're living in exile? Um, do you identify with that, with that language of living in exile? Why, why or why not? Anybody want to share? I can share. Yeah, please. Oh my gosh, this is all so beautiful. Thank you so much for that. That was um wow the service is like yeah <laughs> totally thanks man totally beautiful for me um you know it's it's so amazing how how life is amazing god is amazing um the holy spirit is amazing um it was just huge uh that the word that max chose today was surprise i'm, I'm an astrologer and um so yeah living in exile like evangelical like grew up in like a super conservative family um essentially like being a gay astrologer is like to my parents like being like a you know satanic hedonist um oh and uh you know to me astrology is the word of god um it is you know in the beginning god said let there be light essentially being that like you know they knew at the very beginning that you know god's first words for our universe i mean to me is that you know was the movement of the planets and the movement of the universe and the reason i bring that up is because the word that max chose surprise is you know we just had this full moon on on friday night and it actually trined the planet of surprise uh uranus and um that's been a lot of my mind been waiting for surprises and this is a really pleasant surprise you know that you're speaking about all of this um because I was trying to stay open to that. And that was also mentioned, you know, in that, what Max said. And um, just like in the, the part about the exile, which is really interesting, is that, um, you know, him going to Egypt, man, there's so many connections happening. I'm sorry, I'm going to be all over the place, but, and, you know. And, and the Magi, right? Yeah, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> right, right. And the Magi being astrologers, but 
even so, I asked you guys to pray for my difficult living situation. My roommate keeps uh, trying to get into these uh, these conflicts with me about religion. And um, part of that is, you know, because back in Egypt, they actually had um, these stories. You know, we see it in the story of King Tut about the um, the god, and I can't remember his name, who dies and goes into essentially Hades or hell and, um, and then, you know, resurrects himself. And he always brings that up, how Christ is just a, a ripoff of that story. And how can we believe in Christian? How can I believe in Christianity if it's just a ripoff of that story? But as you read it, all of a sudden it hit me. I was like, this is, I mean, (laughs) Christ went to Egypt, you know, he, he actually then like, you know, their story then became true by this, Christ figure going into Egypt and then emerging um, out of Egypt, just as their prophecy, that mythology states and um, that it is an Egypt, you know, he is an Egyptian story. And that was so beautiful to me, but just all of this with Lent and Lent is very much tied to me for Venus and, you know, mythologies of uh, Dionysus uh, dying and and going to Hades for 40 days. And um, I actually do a lot of ascetic stuff um in in regards to the the venus transits um which we're in right now which is actually venus um is going behind the sun essentially exiling itself very cool wow that's a story (laughs) (laughs) yeah i'm sorry no don't be sorry and there's so and there's so much more but anyway i'm gonna stop there but yeah no don't be sorry no thank you um love your story that's that's beautiful thank you for sharing all that and just being that vulnerable too. And, and obviously uh, just thank you. That was great. Um, wow. Any, anybody else want to want to share um, about being in exile? <laughs> um, I, yeah. Identifying with, with that story of being in exile, finding God in exile um, or not, or not finding God in exile. Maybe, I don't know. Um, anybody else want to share? I just want to say, you know, we've been talking about for years that we all found this community at Central because we're, you know, recovering from the structures and the rules that maybe we grew up with that were traumatic or harder. And in a way, I mean, did we all kind of exile from that? And and we are on our journey of finding God again um, or have found him through this community of realizing that the way we grew up or whatever, I don't know, evangelical rules we had to deal with and walking away from that and finding each other and rebuilding and reconstructing whatever our relationship with God is. It's, to me, that's kind of how it feels. Yeah, thanks, Angie. Me too, yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Other thoughts? I have another thing I can add on to that. I was kind of yeah, Dan, go ahead. Yeah. So like for me, I feel pretty fortunate because a lot of what it seems that if you're having these feelings of being in exile, it's a lot of your your um, your relationships with other people prior to the exile. How how much you were woven into that community, and it's going to hurt more when you separate from that. And, or you're distanced from that in some way. So for me, my experience, you know, with Catholicism, my parents were very, you know, it was like Catholicism light, you know, it was like very much like you'd pop into church on Sunday, but that was it. It wasn't, it didn't really permeate the rest of my everyday life. And so when I started to kind of drift from that, it wasn't, it was more like, you know, I found a little boat on the main island that's really popular and I kind of paddled out to like a different island that was smaller and it's just a different experience if you're like if you're the big cheese in your main island and you're really involved there to then leave and and paddle away to the small island it's like this analogy maybe is ridiculous but it's just that it it would definitely be more impactful and I feel like for me personally I've been fortunate that while it's still, I've definitely had an impact from changing in that way. It, it may not have been as severe as what other people have experienced and continue to experience. But you can relate to that. I mean, you're obviously relating to that, not just with, with Angie, but with us as well. So, I mean. Oh, sure. Yeah. For yeah. sure. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, I just like the idea of, of paddling to an island. <laughs> and yeah. we have very different upbringings too. Like I was a right. Catholic. So it's like, it's, we've had a lot of discussions too of this kind of stuff of like, whatever we have in our little like trauma backpack from religion is a little bit different. So yeah, it's, it's interesting. And being able to go through that together as a couple is, is huge. You know, there's a lot of couples where one goes into deconstruction slash exile from the faith and the other one does not mm-hmm. be incredibly difficult. Yeah. Just want to recognize that. Um, yeah. Good stuff. I, somebody else want to share about being an exile. I just want to note something um, that I was thinking about. <laughs> I think we can never get away from this, but in my mind, so many uh, mainstream churches um, have been talking about this concept for, for some years now. So they would consider that the church is in exile. Yes. In, in within America, especially the conservative, the conservative church. You we would say, yeah. Yeah, I, well, I would say more conservative than ours, though that's a pretty broad stroke. Um, but yeah, I, not not strictly like um, not strictly like hyper conservative, like uh, many of us are familiar with. But even some more mainstream, you know, denominational churches are have been embracing this idea of the church is in exile, right? Um, and what it causes me to think is, first of all, I resonate very much with the concept. Um, and I do feel that everyone's kind of in exile a little bit right now. Um, but uh, what that connected with me uh, is that um, I'm seeing that um, that concept like co-opted and in a way that only our beautiful uh, Christian church knows how to do so well. Um, it being like turned into a like almost a, a martyrdom kind of concept and saying like you know these secular heathens you know the church is just you know being made fun of left and right and persecuted persecuted yeah thanks I wasn't coming up with that word yeah um, yeah and so I guess I guess what I'm trying to put together is I think one of the keys of doing exile well, or whatever you want to call it, is how we um, wander, right? Like the famous adage, you know, all who wander are not lost. How, how we embrace the wandering without giving into the persecution complex that can often come with that, right? So the idea of exile connotes that we have been exiled by someone else or by something else something with power right and exile has taken away that power and put us on the outside um so i don't really have a good conclusion for that but just wrestling with the concept of how do we walk that line and how do we embrace the exile that i think we all feel and identify with with also without also getting into the these concepts of persecution and you know choosing exile, I guess, would be the best, would be the best way I'd frame it. I think our church is a church that chooses exile. Um, and, and I think that's a, just a really interesting uh, concept to kind of wrestle with. Yeah. And I think power, and you raised this point, power dynamics is a big part of that. Um, you know, the persecution complex of, of the evangelical right doesn't make a lot of sense when you consider the power dynamics involved. Right. And, and so it's like when, when basically persecution is equated to not getting your way all the time. And that's really what's going on. They conflate not getting their way all the time, not being, you know, always dominating the culture as persecution. That's not really being an exile or being persecuted in my book. But yeah, I, I, I totally agree. Yeah. One of the wrestling parts is I think they would say the same to people like us, right? The, oh, you you didn't get your way in the church and you didn't get, you know, the sure. structure yeah. change. So you left to do your own thing. Like, yeah, yeah. boo-hoo. Um, yeah, I know. Yeah, I get it. They would say that. <laughs> other Other thoughts today. Good stuff. Hey, Aaron, uh, just something for me um, that this is sort of to do with exile and, and, and sort of not, but, you know, my, my wife and I over the last few, few years had, you know, we'd, we'd lost our faith and, and, and I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say we believe in God anymore necessarily, but 
um, but something that has always resonated about the message of Jesus and something that you had always touched upon that really resonated with us and still resonates with, with us is that, um, you know, the idea of God is, is there in the midst of suffering. You know what I mean? He's there in the midst of, of the exiled. And, and even thinking about Peter Rollins, I think he talks about, um, I think there was a section in his book where he talked about, you know, like, you know, when, say when people are raptured or people are taken, say that happens, right? People get taken up to heaven and they're the, the rest of us, you know, left behind, you know, sort of thing that he feels like the example of Jesus or the true meaning of Christianity is like he would want to reject going up and he would want to stay, you know what I mean? He would want to stay yeah. down with the rest that were left, you know, behind and that sort of thing. And to me, that's always been so um, incredibly profound and something that I still meditate on and still struggle to think about because, you know, it's uncomfortable and it's, and it's difficult. And, um, you know, as you know, Aaron, you know, some dealing, you know, having, having, you know, a loved one who's in chronic pain, um, sometimes it's uncomfortable when there's nothing else to be done except to just be with them, you know what I mean? And be in the suffering with them and share that with them. And that sometimes, and I think you had even said this before, that sometimes that's the only way that we can find any kind of peace or any kind of, um, uh, um, yeah, I guess that's what I mean to say, any, any kind of peace whatsoever in the midst of something that just seems uh, senseless, you know, and, and tragic. And so um, I find that to still be incredibly powerful and, and resonate, you know, very, very much with me. So I know that's not necessarily exile, but I, I was thinking about that in terms of exile and uh, yeah. not. No, that's good. That's really good. Thank you, Ben. Yeah, I, I think being an exile in the sense of being, um, experiencing alienation and, and absence, even, even if that means not just alienation and absence, meaning from like former friends or family or the church, but even alienation and in the absence of God, as you talked about, um, but that there there can be peace found there, right? That there can be a kind of wholeness even found in all of that lack and absence and alienation, and perhaps being in exile, and the story of even you know Christ Himself being somehow God in that story is an exile. God is estranged from God. God is alienated from God. Absolutely. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Is at mm -hmm. the heart of the climax of the Christ narrative. God, God despairing of God. Um, these paradoxical ideas are intrinsic to Christianity. And I think it's, I think it's, it's reflective of how original, original Christian thought was based on this experience of exile, alienation, and estrangement, and questioning and doubting one's faith. Remember the first Christians were Jews that apostatized really uh, and dropped circumcision and Sabbath keeping and, and no longer went to the temple and in a sense embrace the crucifixion of God in the world. And, you know, I think we as Christians don't really process that really well in church communities because I think it scares us to really work through that kind of, yeah. but, but that's what Christianity was, is kind of learning to find courage and peace in the world in the absence of God. And, and we, uh, we had even talked about it during a gathering once that um, at least one of the moments that had always resonated with me or impacted me so much in the Bible was the garden of Gethsemane when Jesus was alone. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that, that to me has always resonated as, as one of the most poignant, you know, yeah. you know, parts, at least of his, of his story. Yeah. Um, and I think I, I, to me, yeah. Ben, what that means, and I think you would agree that even if you don't believe in God per se anymore, to me, what that means is that there's something still transcendent, divine, sacred, whatever you want to call it, found in the midst of life as it actually is. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. By embracing mm -hmm. life as it actually is and all of its problems and perplexities, we can find a kind of a kind of wholeness, not a perfect wholeness, right? Right. <laughs> but we can find a kind of a kind of wholeness and peace in the midst of that. And for me, that's Christ in the midst of of our lives and in our suffering that I mean, that's, that's god's presence to me that's god's presence i still um, feel i still feel like i participate in the narrative in some way i think you do so anyway yeah. that's what i want to share Thanks. yeah thank you ben and and i want to acknowledge that without trying to appropriate you back in, into some kind of theism or something like that, you, know? <laughs> yeah. you know what i yeah. mean yeah. by saying oh you're you're still one of us you're, you're still a, you're still a christian <laughs> You know what I mean? Well, I still, uh, obviously I'm still very, you know, very much participate in the community because I love well, the yeah. people and I love this community and I, and I, and I still very feel much, very much feel a, a you know, a call to, 
you know, uh, a yeah. lot of my upbringing in these stories that I've, that I've, I've grown to love, you know? Yeah. And, and faith transcends the definitions we've been given to it growing up. I think, I think you're a person of faith in the sense of you have, you have faith in life itself. <laughs> Absolutely. You have Absolutely. faith in life. Yeah. And I think that's beautiful. I think that's wonderful. I think that's, I think that's Christian without trying to label you, but anyway, um, good stuff. Other thoughts today? Oh, hi, I'm new here and um, I recently tuned in. So let's see how well I caught on. <laughs> so- um, Welcome, welcome. Is it Vinny? Yes, Vinny. I welcome. would show myself, but um, don't look too great right now. <laughs> we'll try next time. Um, so I think that this is just kind of a conversation on you know what feelings come up when talking about exile and relation to religion. And um, I am definitely a novice when it comes to religion. I don't consider myself particularly educated, though I, you know, spent time in the Catholic Church, went to CCD, you know, all that sort of thing. But, you know, I remember, you know, confiding in a friend of mine who is very much by the books faithful, that I was questioning my sexuality and I considered myself to be gay. And her response was, um, you know, I'm so glad you told the truth to me because that's what God would have wanted um, and I've been praying for you. And then she said something like, however, you know, I really want you to go to heaven. And it was interesting because, you know, even doing things by the books for her, which meant telling the truth and being embraced in that way, I still felt at arm's length. Like I still felt, you know, in a sense, exiled, yeah. though I was accepted for telling the truth. At the same time, you're going to, you know, push me away a little bit and say, however, let's really get you to this corner here. Yeah. You're going to stay there for a little bit, but thank God you told the truth. And so it was interesting. It's an interesting feeling to be doing things by the books. It kind of felt like a catch 22 sort of thing where it's like you would be accepted, but also in a sense rejected, <laughs> or you would just be kind of societally rejected so anyway, that's sort of an, an interesting take, I think, um, on exile that, that came up for me. Uh, so hopefully I followed the prompt. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. No, Vinny, right. thank you for sharing that. What a sad, what, I just want to just recognize that's a, that's a very sad, you know, uh, event and in, in, in circumstance. And I'm sorry that happened to you. And um, certainly there's others here that have had similar experiences, if not close to the exact same experience of well, being told, you know, thank, really... thank you for sharing your heart with me. Thank you for being yeah. vulnerable, but you're doomed. Um, you know, <laughs> yeah. It's interesting though, because, you know, for the type of person that, you know, considering who she was and what her background was and what exposure she had to a certain type of Catholicism, it's interesting because I know that she meant well, but was yes. very, poor at communicating it. So it's almost as if, you know, I have these very difficult thoughts, these, this dilemma in my mind about how do I perceive what she's told me? Because I know that she's a good person. I happen to know that in general, this person is good. She's kind. She wants to do good, you know, to a fault. Yeah, to a fault. But I want to be able to interpret her, you know, um, communications with me as good and I'm really trying to, because I know that deep down in there, there is a good person who wants the best for everyone. And I think that she, it was just poor delivery. It's truly what I believe. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's beautiful that you can see that. And we can live in that tension, right? I, I, we, can, we can understand that the people who say hurtful and awful things to us or that represent God in hurtful and awful ways are people, honestly, I mean, I used to be one of them, were, are just doing their best to try to love others. Uh, but that doesn't take away from the fact that what they're saying and doing is destructive and violent and terrible. And the ramifications of that often mean despair, depression. And, and frankly, for a lot of gay Christians, it's led to suicide by people saying, I love you, but you're an abomination and God loves you, but he's going to burn you forever. I mean, so we, we can hold on to that tension, right? We can live in that. We can have empathy for the speaker while also being very angry and, 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 and hurt. And it's not one or the other, it's often both. And that's, I'm sorry, but I mean, I'm, that makes it so confusing too, but um, you know, um, we find ourselves, Vinny, like you uh, living 
often in that in that strange tension, and it is kind of a strange tension, right? Um, yeah, but thank you, thank you for sharing that, um, and welcome, welcome to Central. Um, hope you feel welcome and, and comfortable here. Um, other other thoughts today. I wanted to say that this conversation, since what Max started with, has been bringing up a lot of anger for me. Mm. And uh, I don't, I can't entirely explain it, but it's like something like uh, we don't deserve to be the ones who are exiled. We are not the people who are wrong here. And screw all of you for <laughs> uh, pushing what's right to the margins. That's all I want. I just it's just pissing me off today. Yeah, I think that's that's kind of where I'm at too, Jason. <laughs> you know, and um, it, it was it was horrifically unjust that Christ was exiled to Egypt as a toddler, and was was and his parents moved to Galilee because they couldn't trust living anywhere near Jerusalem because of Archelaus, uh, Herod's son. Right? I mean, it, it, it was a horrible injustice that the, the poor that the infirmed, the women, the Samaritans, the tax collectors, the sex workers were treated like the scum, the scum of the earth and were exiled from the community of, of, of God and the temple. You know, that should be infuriating. Absolutely. Good stuff. Other, other thoughts, we have a couple minutes left. Other, other thoughts today. I appreciate all of you meditating on the sufferings of Christ with me this morning and meditating on each other's suffering. I think we heard a lot about each other's sufferings this morning as well. And I think that's what Lent is all about. If, if we can practice Lent a little here at this non-liturgical <laughs> or non-traditional non church, I guess we are. But um, thank you for being here. And uh, with that, uh, you are dismissed, but you can always hang out and, and chat and um, thank you to those of you who are new for, for being here and checking us out. We look forward to seeing you again sometime soon. Go in peace. Mm -hmm.